Hola amigos, que tal? Stuart here from Spain Speaks with another podcast this week about life in Spain, joined again by John, who's uh, just come back from a trip to Serbia, I believe, John. Yes, I have, yep. And how was that? A long trip, but it was very fulfilling. It was uh, worthwhile, uh, very interesting trip. It was the second time I've been there, second year running, um, and yeah, it was something I want to do every year. You were there for uh, cricket, I believe. Uh, yeah, every year we, we run a cricket tournament in La Manga uh, to raise money for the club and for charity. And the last two years we've been raising money to buy equipment for the refugees in the refugee camps in Serbia. Um, so we raise the money, we buy equipment, and it actually works out cheaper for us to take the equipment on uh, by playing ourselves um, and do some cricket sessions in Serbia um, with the guys and it is to actually just transport it uh, mm-hmm. over and not have the guarantee that it's going to arrive as well. So uh, we've been doing that for two years now and uh, that's what we did this last week. So when you say um, uh, refugees, did you say? Yes. Now, where, where are they from? Uh, the majority of the refugees were from Afghanistan, um, but there are also some from Pakistan. Okay. Um, last year, uh, there were also a couple from Somalia, Syria um, as well. But I think this year I only remember talking to Afghanis and uh, and a couple of uh, Pakistanis this year. But most of them were from Afghanistan. Okay. And they play cricket? Yeah. Uh, huge cricket fans. Uh, their faces just lit up as soon as we walked in the, the camp. They saw all the cricket equipment that we brought over for them. Um, we had a great couple of sessions and we even did a mini tournament as well. So Fantastic, great. fantastic. Yeah. Now, I'll just apologize again for the uh, jackhammers if they do creep into the uh, into the sound here of the podcast. Uh, they're back again. Well, they actually have. They haven't gone away. They've been working on the streets here for about three weeks now and they've just finally decided to do the street uh, here. So uh, I'm sure that there will be a little bit of a jackhammer uh, noise interference coming in, but we'll try not to let that get in the way. You need so, to give them biscuits, mate. Give them biscuits. Uh, give the, well, yeah, I, I, just, I heard uh, that you said that before. Yeah, that was an interesting theory. I'll try that out. The street's not very long, so uh, maybe if I give them a couple of biscuits, they might get it done in a couple of days. I do not know. Now, um, we'll go through some of the questions that we get uh here on a regular basis uh the last podcast there were a few questions i saw that you did answer a couple yeah one of them was from uh leo java man again um he uh wrote a couple of comments a few weeks ago and another one the other day i didn't look at all of the comments but there was one in particular that caught my attention and it was about uh, youth unemployment in Spain. Many people cannot find unemployment after graduating college, but even though uh, they can easily move to another EU country and work anywhere in the EU, they uh, very few take this opportunity. And uh, he wants to know why more people don't go and live in other countries. And I saw that you replied, just in case you don't remember exactly what you said, in this order, uh, a lot of people have already left. The ones that stay don't want to leave their family and friends, obviously. Mm. The language issue, yeah. barrier, of course. Uh, they don't have any desire to emigrate. And uh, the last one is comfort. They're happy to stay with their parents in the comfort of the family one. home. Now, that's actually a point that I just want to pick up on here about this topic, and it is that um, that very late age that Spanish People seem to emancipate from their parents or move from the family home. I've met people that are living with their parents up into the age of 35 and 36 sometimes yep. quite comfortably yep, yep. with no intention of leaving. No, it's, it's quite amazing actually. I, I was 
uh, is one of the first things I, I noticed about uh, Spain and the difference between Spain and the UK when I first arrived here. I uh, came to visit my, my wife's uh, family, uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, in 1999, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, we came over, had a couple of weeks here and met her friends and I was 23 at the time. Uh, she was 22 and met all her friends. It was like about 30 of them all in this park all having a drink and... Uh, in, in the park, the in Botheon. In the park, yeah, yeah. Botheon, yeah. yeah. Uh, having a few pipas and stuff and yeah. Yeah. Uh, some playing the bongos and yeah, yeah. stuff. Typical yeah, thing typical, that you see here, that's right. Yeah, yeah. typical yeah. thing, just on a Saturday night. And got talking to some of them and uh, it just amazed me because I was like, hold on, all these guys are 22, not one of them had left home. And 22. 22. So and that's, that's relatively and I, and I young. I was shocked then, yeah. Okay, okay. Because I was like, well, you know, I can imagine like, a lot of them still being with their parents, especially if they're still studying, but none of them had left home. And um, I, I mean, I, I was out the door, like 19 years old. I was shot out the door. I loved my mum and dad to bits and stuff, but I wanted my independence. I wanted to be out, you know, uh, in my own place. And... Um, it got, when you got talking to them, well, you find out a little bit more information. The the degrees, uh, university uh, degrees here tend to take a lot longer uh, to do compared to back home. Well, they used to be, uh, I, that's one of the things that I saw as well. Mm. Uh, it used to be a fairly standard thing to do a five-year university degree. Five, six. Whereas yeah. the whereas back home, or the, the one that I did, was three years. Yeah, that's typical in, uh, in England. It's uh, three years, maybe four. Four, for, four years yeah. if you wanted to do, to do honours. Yeah. And if you wanted to do a master's on top, if you wanted to do like a master's degree, degree on top, that was about six years. But here, the standard seemed to be five years back in the day. I think that's changed. Now, that's about four years. They've come into line with other European countries, I think. But five years used to be the standard. Yeah. So they were finishing university later, obviously. So starting at 17, 18, finishing at 22, 23. Yeah. But no um, will to leave. They were... Yeah, but yeah, the, I, I mean, there's it, also another another point to it as well. Is I think in the the actual way they they do the university degrees over here is slightly different as well. So I think you actually have more subjects uh, than what you would specifically do in a degree in the UK, at least. Um, you have more specified. You have more. You have more contact time. Yeah. So you find that people go to university from nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon and have classes for that whole time, yeah. whereas like I said, again, when I went to university, we had maybe on Monday three hours, Tuesday three hours, Wednesday we didn't have anything, Thursday three hours, maybe Friday we had an hour and a half, and that was it. Yeah. And, and then you, you, you just, study at you, home. You're expected to study at home. Yeah, and you get a job as well. University. You're expected to work a bit because you needed to keep yourself uh, afloat as well. Um, but apparently here, I mean, I was talking to someone uh, just this weekend about it, and apparently that if you don't pass some of the uh, the content of the degree um, during uh, the first couple of years, you have to repeat it. So that adds another year on and it sort of drags on. So a lot of people, I mean, it's not unusual to find people at 26, 27 years old still doing their basic degree. Yeah. Um, so obviously that makes everything a lot uh, longer and uh, they're staying with their parents for a, a lot longer period of time. They get comfortable. In their parents' house as oh, well. Of course, yeah. No, most of them aren't working. It's like a hotel. Yeah, and well, most of them don't work either. So well, right. the the it's I think it's one of the the things that concerns me at the moment with having children is uh, I had a lot of life experience by getting uh, a part time job uh, when I was fifteen, 
Paper round or something. Uh, paper round when I was 13 till I was 15. Uh, supermarket from when I was 15 till I was uh, 18. Um, and that's, you know, basically paid my, uh, my, my own bits and pieces. Uh, but here, it's not easy to do that. It's not as easy to get jobs like that in Spain. Mm. Um, and I find that a shame because I think uh, it's a big learning curve and uh, it gives you responsibility. It makes you learn what uh, what responsibility you need to um, to have to have a job. Mm. Um, you've got to get up. You've got to be there at the right time. Responsibility. Responsibility. Mm. It's just it's really important. So uh, financial responsibility as well, yes, mm. to uh, to help um, you know start that independence uh, or that emancipation, as I said before, from the family nest. Uh, yeah, I I've known people that were doing their degree until they were thirty two, thirty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some of my uh, friends here that were, they were doing that while I was. Yeah. I'd been working in the same company for like seven or eight years and they were still studying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it is, uh, it's completely different in, a, in that sense. And uh, I think there's also, um, it's fairly, uh, I mean, I, I, my parents are not Spanish, but, I, but I've seen that Spanish parents really love to have their kids close as well. Yeah. You know, they, they, they love to, to make meals for their kids. They love to still make the, you know, make, uh, make the bed, you know, in the morning and, uh, they really love to go out of their way for kids, you know. Definitely, so it's a really family orientated culture. I mean, it's, a, it's a, one thing I do love about Spain. It's it's great. Uh, the families stick together. They see mm. each other a lot, regu- very regularly. Um, but it does hold the kids back, I think, in some ways. And this is one of the ways. It's it just gives the yeah. the children, the youth, too much uh, comfort. Um, and the the other problem is is some because they've got this comfort when they do actually have their degree. And they start looking for jobs. If they don't find the specific job that they're after, they just wait and they keep looking for that specific job. Yeah. Where I was in the UK, well, if I couldn't find what I wanted to when you know you first left uh, left education, well, you just grab the first thing you can find just to start earning some money while you carry on looking for your dream job. And they don't seem to do that here. They just want their dream job right from the beginning, and they don't tend yeah. to go out and just get anything they can get hold of. Well, the idea is that if they study uh, biology. They're a biologist, yeah. and that's all. They're, that's it. That, that's, there's nothing else they can do. No, can't work in a supermarket to no. uh, to, to well, get a bit of money well, or anything. It's, yeah. Not even that. But, no. but but a lot of people can't <laughs> even go into any other type of profession because they've only trained yeah. to do the one thing. I mean, I'm I'm just generalizing there, but I have I have seen people say that. You know, people have said, I said, you know, what what uh, are you working? No, I'm unemployed. What what what? What are you? What did you do? Uh, I'm a biologist. Well, yeah, but if you're not working theoretically, I mean, you might have trained to be a biologist, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you are one unless you're working in that yeah. particular field. You know what I mean? It's yeah. you can go on and do different things. I remember at a wedding a few years ago, um, an English guy's wedding. There were a lot of people there from the UK. And uh, everybody seemed to be working in the city in insurance companies and doing different things. And yeah. I, I asked a couple of them, I said, you know, what did you study at university? And, you know, a lot of people studied things that weren't related to finance, but they were working <laughs> yeah. in the city because that's where the money was, you yeah. know. So what they studied for had nothing to do with the career that they had chosen to take. Yeah, well, it's the same thing happened to me. I mean, I studied uh, geography, English literature and uh, economics and I'm teaching English. So obviously the English literature helps, but... Well, it's related it, a little yeah, is rated a bit yeah well, i'm not writing books or anything no. uh, so yeah it's it's um it's really 
it's, it's very common uh, to find people that are doing one job, but they've studied something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more, 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 more common, I would say. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very rigid here as well, and the family structure is actually it's it's quite interesting. I remember seeing um, or listening to a, an economist. I think he won a Nobel Prize back in the day. A person called Joseph Stiglitz. And he said that a characteristic of the Southern European countries was that the the families in times of crisis and um, economic crisis particularly, I mean, yeah. Spain's fairly prone to it, as we have mentioned before, job market's not very good. The families take up a lot of the slack. Yeah, definitely. So when somebody loses their job, even at the age of 45, it, it was common here in some provinces that the whole families would you know, move in together and you'd have you know three generations of the same family living together. So the burden's taken off the state. And he said that that's one of the things the state doesn't spend the money that it should on those basic services because they rely heavily on the families. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have an awful lot of experience on, on that side of things. I think being in Madrid, it's a little bit different maybe to uh, more rural parts and smaller towns in, uh, in Spain. But definitely seen occasions where people have uh, lost their jobs uh, in Rivas and in Madrid and they've moved back with their parents for a couple of years. Mm. Um, it's, it's very normal. And on top of that, it's very normal to find uh, older people, uh, retired, uh, needing uh, extra care, moving back with their children yeah. um, in their latter years of life. Uh, mm. That's very, very normal here in Spain. But that's not just because... Uh, of economic reasons, it's it's because the family wants to look after their uh, their parents, their grandparents, rather than put them in a home. Well, this economist said he, the the economist said that the government um, doesn't offer the necessary services or doesn't put the money towards these things that they should be doing compared to other West, uh, you know, uh, OECD countries because they know that the family is going to pick up that that. That. Yeah, it could be a case. I, mean, I don't really know an awful well, lot. He said, he, but yeah, it does make it does make sense. He seemed to think that it was all related. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Don't know whether it's true or not, but I'm I haven't been in that situation yet. But uh, I do know that my uh, my uh, girlfriend's grandmother they had a lot of trouble getting her into uh, care, state care, yeah. for example, um, just because it was just so hard to. It does seem to be a problem here, actually. Uh, I've seen quite a few posts on the the local Facebook page um, where they've been asking and demanding for a, another um, residency for for old people, mm. older people. Sorry, mm. um, but I don't know how how far that actually goes. There's been a lot of uh, talk about it, and uh, a lot of people that just can't get um, their their grandparents or their parents into into homes and they need it. And they end up going back to the uh, their own homes and mm. being looked after by uh, someone just coming in every day, cooking for them, cleaning for them, uh, or family. Mm. Yeah. All right, good. Then we'll move on. Um, comment here from Sound Strange. He said uh, he's an Irish immigrant. The term expat is silly at best and highly suspicious at worst. <laughs> who has lived in Spain for the past eight years? For any potential families thinking of moving to Spain, I think it would only be fair to discuss the education system here. And in my experience, and according to the statistics, and according to all the statistics, uh, I've seen it's awful. All right, good, awful. John, now you have kids in the system. Yeah. I have a kid in the system. What's I wouldn't your, say it's uh, awful. No, no I wouldn't good? say it's awful. Uh, it's different. <laughs> so awful is a bit extreme. Yeah, it's a bit extreme. I think. Um, 
first point, I definitely agree with regards to expat. I don't use the term very often. Uh, it, it slips out sometimes, but I regard myself as an immigrant. Um, I, I don't really like the word expat. I think it's trying to uh, sort of put a name on something which isn't right. Um, but with regards to the education, uh, my, my, both of my daughters have gone through uh, Spanish education since they were born. They were state education. State education, yeah. No private um, schools. And yeah, we've had problems. Uh, we've actually got a problem now um, uh, with, the, with the school. Uh, they're actually on their seventh teacher in three years. What, excuse me? Seventh teacher seventh in three years. Teacher in three, three point this is, two years. This yeah. is the um, the primary or the, the primary school. Oh, primary school. Okay. So basically, this is my younger daughter. So uh, that's uh, it's been an issue for us. Um, Was uh, she in year six? She's no. She's in the fourth grade now. Fourth grade. So she in in the first grade. Uh, I think she went through uh, two teachers, um, three teachers in. Uh, second or third grade, and then and uh, they've just changed teachers again. So you're talking about teachers that are changing mid mid term. Yeah, I mean basically the first year, uh, I just can't remember all of them now. So Do they give a reason though. Yeah, the first year, the her actual teacher that was assigned to her class um, in the first year, I think she was uh, actually off it, off ill. She was off sick, and it was a long term uh, illness. So they had uh, an interim uh, teacher come along, a, a substitute teacher, if you like. Uh, she was there for a couple of months or so, and then she got ill, and then they got another one coming. So, I mean, it's just bad luck, really. I mean, mm. there's not a lot you can do about it. But that was three teachers in the first year. Uh, then we had an issue in another year where she got given a teacher who was about to retire. Knowing what had happened in the past, uh, you know, I mean, you'd expect them to sort of at least try and get one year through one year without having the same teacher. But they actually, we knew right from the beginning in September that this mm. teacher was going to be retiring in February. So we knew we only had her for a few months. And in February, they were going to have another new teacher. And then this year, what's happened is the uh, the head teacher of the school was retired. Um, he's just announced his retirement uh, last week or week before last. And because he's retired, the secretary um, from the school at the moment is now going to become uh, the head teacher or has become the head teacher now. Mm-hmm. And... My daughter's teacher has now become a secretary. So now we've got to have another teacher to replace him. Uh, And the kids were actually came out of school crying. Really? Uh, And some of them asking uh, the parents, you know, what have we done wrong? Why don't any of the teachers want to stay with us? Why why doesn't anyone want to teach us? And they're feeling really bad about it. And it's, I mean, a lot of it has been very bad luck, but I think it's been dealt with in a a bad way. And we could have had a much better... Um, experience if yeah. uh, they'd had uh, a permanent teacher on them, you know, so, at least through two of the years. Yeah. So, so putting that to one side for a minute, the the quality of the education, you you happy with it? Yeah. I mean, I think in general the quality of the education's uh, fine. I've not had an issue with that. But uh, I think one of the biggest issues is the way that what's happened with my daughter up till now. That's not an uncommon thing. Mm. Uh, it's the way that the, uh, the teachers um, are placed in each class, how it's done. Um, it's a very weird system in, in my eyes. Um, and I'm not very happy with that. That's one thing I'm not too happy about. Yeah. Uh, Can you voice your opinion? We, we're actually voicing our opinion now. Uh, we've actually, uh, all the all the parents have gotten together and they've said, like, you know, enough is enough. Um, and they've written it. We've, we've already spoken to the school. They've already said that, you know, there's nothing really they can do about the situation. Uh, it's just unfortunate. 
and it is to a, to a point is unfortunate, but we, you know, if it's yeah. constantly unfortunate to our uh, kids and not other classes in the in the school um, yeah. like, well mm. why does it always happen to our class and not others so um yeah luck. they are voicing it but yeah. just bad yeah. luck probably yeah yeah um yeah the, what's your view, uh, point of view on the i mean <laughs> you've got your son in the school and yeah well, he, he's what's your only, experience? he's only been going for a few years so yeah. I, I don't really feel that i'm qualified to to you know give a uh an in-depth opinion on the topic um yeah. i Things that I read, I, re, I mean, I read a lot about the, the education system and there are, you know, um, comparisons that they do, comparative yeah. reports that they do and Spain always comes, you know, really, or Spain always does really bad in these reports, you know. Yeah. And there was one recently uh, that I read in the paper. There's this um, report called the PISA report, you know. No. It's uh, in all of the, in all of the um, OECD countries, again, they... They compare the standards. Okay. Like they do tests. So how the students perform in maths, how they perform in language, how they perform in all in different things. And uh, the person that puts this report together recently, uh, he was recently interviewed and he said that the education laws in Spain are from the 19th century. <laughs> well, this goes back to what I was saying. It's just, uh, it's just the organisation of it and the laws yeah. that... The, they go with the education system. I just think are, are dated, and they need to be they need to be addressed. And he said that the one of the problems is that there's not enough creative thinking in the system, and that the the system's just based on memory. In the sense that they, yeah, do you know what I mean? It's they're not taught to solve problems. They're just taught to. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is his opinion. Um, they're just taught to. Uh, memorize the things rather than work out why they happen okay um i think a lot of that depends on the school and the teachers uh, because uh, i think you've got well, the- we're talking state schools state yeah yeah, yeah we're, not, exactly. we're not see now that's another point that the education system here it's it, it's it's very difficult to understand if you're yeah. not from spain you've got private schools you've got another system which is called concertada which is a private school. It's kind of semi-private, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's, it's more private. It's yeah, state. Well, and then you've got um, state schools or public schools or I know in the UK, public schools, a bit yeah. different concept, but a state school, let's say. So it's a bit complex in that sense. A lot of people are trying to get their uh, kids in. Like this area that we live in here, there's only one private school mm-hmm. and there's only one concert. Oh, that's my series gone off, so I'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> There's only one private school and there's, I think, and there's only one of these uh, concertados, the semi-private school, let's say, all the rest of the state schools. But if you go to some of the other areas in Madrid, there's lots of private schools and especially areas where people have higher incomes. Like if you go to Pozuelo, Mahalo, there's lots of private schools in those yeah. areas. Yeah, uh, I think one other thing that he mentions uh, or somebody mentioned in the comments here, John, was that perhaps the uh, the education systems, it's too politicized and maybe parents have too much of a role in influencing the way things happen in the schools now just uh, talking about the school across the road there's always seems to be a protest there from the mm. from the uh from the parents association they're always complaining about something yeah and maybe parents are not allowing the teachers to teach do you know what i mean 
Yeah, I think, to be honest, I mean, I've worked in a state school and I've worked in a continental. Uh, I did two years in the state school and uh, one year in a continental. Here in Here. Uh, Rivas? No, uh, two years in the state school was in Rivas uh, and the other one was in Alganda Rey. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry, Alganda Nares. I'm getting okay. confused, um, which was one year. Um, my experience has been sort of kind, kind of... Um, some, in some ways, it's the same uh, experience with some of the teaching methods in the two schools. Um, but I've got to admit, the teachers in the state school here in Rivas were absolutely fantastic, really good. In the school in uh, Alcalá de Nares, um, I won't which mention names. Which is, which is a concertado, you said, The concertado, right? and it was Catholic school. Okay, um, so a religious-based education. Religious-based education. Um, it was all boys as well, okay. which made a huge difference, I think, uh, certainly for the way um, the, the children act and behave in class. So I thought it was very different. Um, my experience there was good. It was fine, but it wasn't as good as the state school, um, my experience there. Uh, I find my, um, my way of teaching was limited uh, in the, in the contestada. But you um, just, just, uh, we'll just, Go, so you were yeah. a classroom assistant. I was a teaching assistant. So, so yeah. explain what the role of that 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 exactly what you had to do. Okay, so basically, I taught in bilingual schools. Yeah. Okay, so the children were learning uh, English, science. But you weren't the main teacher. No, 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 no. Um, the, the the children were learning uh, various subjects in English. Okay, so, so science, science, um, well, the, the social science and uh, natural science, mm -hmm. and then there the English classes, uh, the PE classes. Uh, they were all in PE in English. PE in English. Okay. Yeah. So my job there was basically to assist the the teacher. So in in, in, in what way? Well, I'd go to the class, um, depending on what the teacher wanted me to do. Uh, each teacher is different, uh, but they would have the class prepared. The so, teacher so would prepare the class. I'll just interrupt. So the teachers that were teaching social sciences in mm -hmm. English, geography, yeah. etc., yeah. they were fluent. In the topics, obviously, in yeah. their knowledge in English. It's primary school in, yeah, English. So, yeah, in English. So they knew all of the concepts. They knew all mm -hmm. of the names. They they knew. I mean, they're they're bilingual. Uh, the so teachers. They, so, so they were. No one, one's perfect. So okay. obviously, you know, the idea of the teaching assistant, uh, native uh, speaker, is to correct could be American or British or whatever. We would go there. Our, uh, the the idea of our job uh, was basically to assist the teacher. In teaching the English, in English, uh, whether it be accent, pronunciation, or content, okay. and on top of that, help the teacher. So, if the teacher was making any mistakes, uh, I certainly tried not to do it in front of the students because it just undermines the teacher. But uh, maybe I would mention it under breath or at the end of the class. Oh, you know, you need to say it this way, and you know, and they took it very well. It's it's not like they didn't feel bad for it they were there to learn as well it's, okay. it's it's to help it's as if i went to um speak spanish and teach spanish in england and i had a, a spanish uh, native come and help yeah. me in the class yeah. i would expect to try and learn things as well because yeah. no one uh, can speak two languages absolutely perfectly mm. unless they're extremely special people in my in my mm. point of view um so basically the the experience all depended on the teacher um, some of the teachers wanted you to take more of an active role in the class and actually teach the class that they'd prepared oh, okay. and they would assist you 
um, in in helping with the children and stuff. So you were talking more um, more during the class and giving the, the students more access to uh, accents and pronunciation. Other teachers would want to teach the class themselves, and you would basically assist the students, um, assist them. So it depends on the the teacher really. But you were always in the classroom with the teacher. You mm. never uh, expected to you never expected to do a class on your own. And then the other point of the job was the teacher would also organize classes where uh, you would take out uh, groups of children to do exercises um, within smaller groups, normally speaking exercises, okay. uh, where you go out and you would you'd basically uh, get them speaking more English. So this is all part of the this bilingual education program yeah. that they have in the Madrid community yeah. and some other communities in Spain. Yeah, it's as all well. over Spain now. Yeah. Yeah. But not every school is obliged to follow this curriculum right no no it's uh, the you have bilingual schools or non-bilingual for okay. example my daughters go to a normal state school okay like uh, as does mine yeah i didn't want them to go to bilingual because okay. i thought well you know they're in in my point of view on this uh side of things uh they're spanish you know, they were born here uh they've got an english dad so they're getting english from me and uh, they speak pretty well in english uh although i'm the only person who speaks them to uh, to them in english um so I wanted them to learn the sciences and everything else in Spanish because they live in Spain. <laughs> it seemed a logical thing to me. Mm. Uh, and without putting extra pressure on them to learn it in a different language. Mm. All right, good. Yeah, so we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about education over the, the next few podcasts. So, but we'll leave it there for today. But uh, just going back to that original point, awful, probably too strong of a, yeah. an adjective. Okay, all right, yeah. a bit too strong. All right, now the next, another comment here from Koffer uh, Martin. Now, Koffer Martin, I get the impression that he's from Australia, but I think his parents were Spanish. Um, so he was obviously, he's in the opposite situation to us <laughs> in, in, some, in some ways. Yeah. Uh, he wants to know if uh, I think people are happier in Spain or in Australia or if Spanish are happier than Australians or vice versa. And uh, whether I had trouble driving uh, on the opposite side of the road when I first came to Spain. <laughs> in, Spain uh, in Spain, we drive on the right. Of course, in Australia, we drive on the left. Now, I'll answer the easy uh, one here first. Uh, it wasn't difficult for me to change, to drive on the opposite side of the road. Was it for you? No, nah, not at all. No. I found it really easy. Um, it's just maybe a couple of days to get used to it, but I don't think yeah. there was anything... Uh, out of the ordinary here. I had to sit my driver's test again in Spain here, so I had to go through the system and learn how to drive again according to Spanish standards. So that was also interesting. But it was just uh, getting used to, um, you know, using the opposite hand to change gears, basically. I mean, yeah. everything on the floor is the same. I think it was, um, I mean, the, the actual car itself was just dead easy to drive. It, you just you get used to having a gear stick uh, on the right-hand side uh, yeah. straight away. I think the most difficult thing was probably, and it took a sort of two or three days to get used to, was obviously when you get to a roundabout. Yeah, going, yeah, yeah. Do you remember you the, which way to turn? Yeah, going the opposite way around the roundabout and, uh, and things like that. It's, and remembering which way to look first uh, yeah. when instead you get to looking, junctions. Instead of looking to, yeah, looking yeah. to you, instead of looking and to your right, looking to your left. The traffic lights. Traffic lights, that different was, here? Yeah, I mean, the traffic lights here were, they, they've got different types of traffic lights. You've got ones that are amber, they're flashing amber, and then when they're going to change to red, the amber stops flashing. It stays amber. 
and then it turns red. And if you go through the traffic light as it's changing from flashing amber to fixed amber, you'll actually get fined. Oh, it was, uh, and it was like, it didn't, yeah. you know, it, you, it didn't make a lot of sense. It, it, that that it, annoyed it, me. Yeah. If, if there was a camera there. If, was, if there was a camera, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you get used to these things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more difficult for me when I go back to Australia and drive there. It takes me a couple of days to get used to, that, uh, to the system there as well. But uh, when I come back here, normally there's no problem. Um, and the question about whether people are happier, well, I, I can't answer that question. Uh, happiness is a very uh, subjective thing. Um, are people in Australia happy? Well, the ones that I speak to seem to be happy. Um, people that I speak to here seem to be happy as well. The only difference I would say that if uh, opportunity is part of your um, level of happiness, then uh, it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes the lack of opportunity here. Not necessarily for me personally, but for people that I have spoken to. Um, and uh, I say this because I have met people in uh, Spanish people in the UK and Spanish people in Australia. And there seems to be a thing here that if you're not um, 100% Spanish, uh, it's more difficult for you to break into the system. I don't know. Whereas I think that if, you, if you're if you a good professional and you go to the UK or Australia, they'll, they'll take you on your professional skills rather than whether you're from there or not. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Whereas here I, I work in a lot of companies teaching English and I don't see any foreign people working in these companies. There's no There's no... There's no um, integration. There's lots of South American people here, but very rarely do you see South American people working companies. I don't know whether that's because of the. I'm talking about the the, the big the big companies. Yeah. And I think it's just harder to break in, and that there's not a lot of opportunities because when there is a 25% unemployment rate like there was, or a 15% rate like there is now, there's just you don't have those opportunities. Yeah. It's not easy to find other jobs as well. And if that's one of the things, if you get stuck in your job and you're not happy and you can't and you can't change, that might influence your happiness in some way. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know if I've had the same experience with regards to to that as you actually. Uh, for example, what my wife's uh, com- uh, company where my wife works is uh, a big multinational. Um, might be different, maybe because it's a multinational, but they've got uh, people from all over the world working there. Mm. Um, when I worked at the chain of gyms, uh, I mean, God, we had a lot of uh, South uh, South Americans. We had uh, quite a few Argentinians there mm. teaching paddle. Um, oh, because uh, they're expert. Paddle, yeah, exactly. Right? Um, so we we did actually have a lot of um, uh, different nationalities in in the company. So I mean, maybe I've had a slightly different experience mm-hmm. on, on that side of things. Um, but I think there's a level of happiness. I think it's kind of hard to measure. Uh, if I was comparing the UK to Spain, I would say there's one big difference: uh, the whole the grass is greener uh, concept. In England. A lot of people seem to think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence and they look in at, oh, the great weather in Spain and and they, and they sort of like think that life's better somewhere else. So they they sort of like their happiness is is kind of subdued because they don't think they, they're as happy as they could be if they were somewhere else. Whereas I think Spain is completely reversed. It's like, no, no, we've got the greenest grass. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy here. I don't think I'd be happy in the UK because the weather's awful. Yeah. That's the first thing that people say to me. Oh, it's always raining in England. Uh, it's always cold. Uh, I couldn't live there. I wouldn't be happy. 
and I think that's uh, probably a big thing for Spanish people the, the, the whole sunlight and the weather if they don't get that wherever they move to it's mm. uh, an issue yeah well, so that's not an issue in Australia because the sun shines uh, fairly yeah. uh, fairly often down there yeah. I also think uh, a lot of these your, your perception of happiness in if when you're comparing uh, Spain to another country I think a lot of it depends on where you're comparing it mm. Um, if you compare a big city like Madrid, I would say that a lot of people are probably not quite as happy here in Madrid as they are on the coast of Spain. I think uh, a lot of people in the villages um, on the coast of Spain, they seem to be a lot happier and uh, friendlier than than they are in the big cities. Mm. So but I think that's pretty much the same anywhere you go. It could be. It yeah. could be. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, just to, just going back to the topic, I mean, I, I don't really know whether uh, Spanish people in general are happier than Australians. I do know, however, John, according to this article that I saw today, that Spanish life expectancy is going to be the uh, number one by 2040, let me just read this here. I've got it here. So, uh, lo uh, the longest life expectancy in the world by 2040. And there was an article in the Times apparently that said, why do Spaniards live longer if they smoke and drink? And uh, apparently, according to this, it's because they have sex more often <laughs> and the tapas are good. Now, I don't know whether that is the reason, but they go through seven or eight reasons here. Now, one of the th the first thing they say is that um, Spanish people walk a lot, so they're getting. I can see by the look on the you know, on your face there. Yeah, maybe sure don't agree, agree with that. All right, good. So they call it here el paseo, the walk or el paseo. So they don't go as much. To, uh, they don't go as often to the gym, but they walk more. Okay. okay. So I don't know. That could be one of the reasons. Now the famous paseo. Um, I do notice here that on a on a on an afternoon uh, where the uh, where the weather's quite good, there are a lot of people walking yeah. around the place. Uh, but apparently, that's one of the reasons, according to this, why people live longer. I don't know. Okay. Do you walk a lot um, when you're not taking out the dog? Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, when I'm not taking out the dog, uh, the transport system in Rivas is pretty poor. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, really, if you compare it to a lot of other places, um, so you have to take the car everywhere. It's just a pain in, pain mm -hmm. in the neck. Uh, so no, I don't walk as much as I as I would do in, in the UK. I would walk a lot more, yeah. a lot more. I'd walk down the town. I'd walk to go shopping. Okay. I'd uh, walk down the river. Yeah. I'd have just you know a nice little walk down the river. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that also depends on the weather. Um, I would be more likely to walk in England than I would here if because, the weather was better. Okay. Well, no, no, not actually the opposite way around. Um, I'd be more likely to walk out in the rain in the UK than you would here. Than I would here um, because I've got somewhere to go to go out in the rain. Uh, whereas here, I'd have to go by public transport or drive. And the other thing is, here in the middle of the summer, you last thing you want to do is go out for a walk. Well, it's so yeah, hot in the middle of the middle of the day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mad uh, mad dogs, John. Mad dogs. Yeah, I don't, I, really, I don't think I'd agree with with that. I think oh. uh, with the amount of dog owners as well in the UK, I would say um, 
a lot of people go out for walks a lot <laughs> in the UK. And my yeah. parents walk a fair bit. Yeah. Um, so you don't think that's one of the reasons? No. Okay. Maybe they're comparing cities maybe again. I, I, I don't know. It just says here that the, yeah. there's now a term here called El Paseo, which has become a noun. Okay. Mediterranean diet. Yeah, that's different kind of fish. All right, good. So we're we're starting to get into the into the real details here. So the Mediterranean diet: Fr- uh, fish, fruit and veg, nuts, pulses, olive oil. Spanish love their lentejas. Yep. They love their fabadas. Yep. Uh, I'll be honest; I hadn't eaten a lot of lentils before I came to Spain. No, nope, same here. That's one <laughs> thing uh, I didn't really eat an awful lot of. Uh, I think they, they've got it a lot in their diet here and I didn't really eat an awful lot of lentils. And fish as well. Spain is a huge fish-consuming country. Yep. You only have to go to a supermarket to realise that, how many yep. varieties of fish. And comparing Australia, Australia, we don't eat fish. We we have um, inherited the British diet, which is pork, lamb, beef and chicken. Yep. And fish is uh, something that maybe you eat at Easter time or something yeah. like that. Uh, more and more people are eating yeah. fish. I mean, I'm generalizing here again, but for a country yeah. that's surrounded by water, like the UK, yeah. uh, we don't consume a lot of fish. I think a lot of fish is consumed on the coast of the UK. Is it? But it tends to be the same. Out of fish uh, and chips? Or? Well, it tends to be the same fish. So we eat same a lot of fish. cod, yeah. uh, hake, um, place. Yeah, mackerel, uh, things like that. It seems to be the same sort of fish, so you don't really get, you don't get, certainly don't get anywhere near as big a variety. But it's not in involved UK. in the day to day as much as it is here. No, do you think? it's, it's no. not eaten as much. No. Um, but we also have a limited. Uh, I would say we have a more of a limited variety of fish uh, in in the waters around the UK compared to to Spain. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's um, it's something that. It's just how the the countries uh, evolved through the years and the the types of uh, meals that are, are, are cooked every day. Yeah. Uh, we've got more access to to meat than we have fish, probably. Yeah, likewise uh, in Australia, uh, siestas is the third point here. The famous siesta. Uh, a lot of people get angry here when you mention the siesta. They say, "Oh, yeah. we no, we never have a siesta." That's a lie. Spain is not a country where people have a siesta. Now, I love to have a siesta. If I can have <laughs> I a siesta, <laughs> if I can have one every day for 26 minutes, as they mention here, 26 minutes of shut eyes recommended by the Spanish Society of Doctors. Now, if I can get 10, 15, 20 minutes, my day does improve. Really? Oh, mine's the opposite. I hate it. I hate it. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, you're not. You don't. Uh, no, I don't like sleeping in the middle of the day. A lot of people don't. A lot of people uh, don't like it. It's, it's personal choice. But yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I like to get up early in the morning. So I'll get up at five forty-five, and by three, I, I'm more or less cooked. You know. Yeah. So I need to have a little bit of a. <laughs> I need to have a little bit of a siesta on the weekends. It's longer. The the the, the weekend uh, siesta is. It's because of a big lunch and. Yeah. Uh, You've had a couple of beers and a glass of wine or whatever, so you... that tends to happen in the UK as well, though. Yeah, yeah well, it, ha- it happens everywhere. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the siesta, you know, according to who you speak to, um, only eighteen percent of people here recognise that they take a siesta or admit to taking a siesta. But uh, I would agree. It says that it keeps your your heart healthy and your mood healthy as well. 
keep it short and sweet, which is what they recommend. Yeah. Don't have it like a two or three hour siesta. But um, I remember when my son first started school, it was um, part of the day for the kids there. Yeah, it's still part of the day for the, oh, for the younger kids. They yeah. still have a siesta That's in the right. middle of the day up until they go to start yeah. primary school. That's right. But I don't think it's really a big part of Spanish lifestyle now. For not adults. in Madrid, at least. Certainly no. not in Madrid. No, no. And people do get cross when you uh, when people sort of sort of mention that it's a very yeah. stereotypical thing to yeah. say about the Spanish. Um, well, they also have a word for it, uh, which is fairly, which is, has become quite well known. The siesta. Do you know what I mean? The, which one? Well, the word siesta. Yeah. I mean, we even use. Oh that right, yeah, we use it in the UK as well. That's yeah. it. You know, have a siesta. Have a siesta yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I mean, it is one of those things that yeah. people do associate with Spain, but. Yeah, I, I do agree. People get a little bit touchy when you do mention it. Longer working day is apparently one of the reasons why Spanish live longer. They really? work longer hours but not very stressed hours. So they sort of get to work. They have a coffee. They have a chat. They sit down. They Maybe they go to the toilet. They get back up, have another coffee, have another chat, sit down. But they're there until 8 o'clock in the afternoon. According to this, this yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just quoting what I'm reading here. Actually, that's very true to my experience <laughs> okay so uh, so they're, they're working longer but they're not stressed at work which is one of the keys they they, they say here yeah i think that depends on the job um i mean i, I think uh, some people get stressed at the job because of those uh habits of people going out for a coffee going mm. that because you try and get in touch with people you can't get in touch with the person you want to because they've gone to have a coffee or they've gone to have a cigarette or yeah. you know um that actually stressed a lot of people out in my old job um, <laughs> when I was working there. But I can't see how that can be really beneficial. I actually feel uh, most of the Spanish really dislike those working hours. Mm. Um, you know, you, you, get, you get to work at half nine, 10 o'clock in the morning, and you, I've got to admit, half the people in, in the office where uh, the gyms where I used to work, they were already having breakfast at 10 and that was half an hour. It wasn't 10 minutes. It was half an hour of breakfast yeah. with well, coffee. That's, and, that's uh, a morning croissant. tea. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then you've got lunchtime and yeah. all of a sudden they'd have about an hour and a half, two hours for lunch. Well, most of them didn't really want an hour and a half or two hours for lunch. Mm. It's it's still yeah, the it's still, siesta it's, time. Yeah. It's still sort of in... in it's incorporated, in, yeah, incorporated in the into the Spanish right. uh, working hours and it's not... For some people, that's yeah. right. Yeah. It's not really necessary now and people don't use it for siestas so they end up with two hours for lunch and yeah. you know, they'd rather get home earlier, most of them, I think. I, I would say that is the case. Yeah. The next one here, we'll just uh, move through these last few points here quickly because we're running out of time. Uh, Spanish people have more and better sex. According to a survey of 15,000 women, Spanish men are the best lovers. Okay. Okay. I can't comment on oh, that. Oh, I can't comment on that <laughs> But they say that they have sex uh, more uh, on average than other people. And I don't know whether that's true or not. Um, obviously, speaking from experience here, uh, I, I don't know whether it is or not. The Spanish vocabulary is more upbeat, okay? They have more uh, positive words in their vocabulary on a daily basis, like love and laughter, and that apparently boosts people's moods, Okay. So whereas uh, in maybe in English there's more negative words like sad and crying. That's just what they say here. Okay, yeah, so that's I don't a know. rubbish. But anyway, yeah, okay. But that's one of the reasons. Yeah, I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> uh, and, and the last one here is uh, tapas in the evening. Um, yeah, well, that tapas in the evening that could also be related because they say here that uh, going to have some tapas and a glass of wine or two 
maybe that's related to the uh, to the sex uh, part as well there John maybe, maybe. Yeah. a few glasses of wine in the yeah. evening um, but um, uh, a lighter dinner yeah I mean that's very true they, a lot of Spanish people have a lighter dinner they have a heavy lunch lighter dinner mm. um, so that obviously helps health benefits yeah then. it helps a lot with the benefits it but but at the same time, I, I find it very difficult, or I certainly have done in the past, found it very difficult with regards to this, uh, the eating habits here because I always I, I stick to my, my normal breakfast because I don't like the uh, the pastries and the chocolate in the morning. It yeah. just doesn't cereal in the morning. So I like cereal or uh, yeah, a bit of porridge, yeah. some shreddies. Um, that's my thing for the morning. But the lunchtime, uh, I would be quite happy to have a sandwich at lunchtime and have an earlier dinner. Not, like a, not, a three, not, not a three-course meal. A three-course meal in the middle of the day. Just, yeah, you yeah. feel tired afterwards. But it's the, the evening meal for me. It just, it, for me, it's just too late. Yeah. Um, I can't go to sleep after eating so much uh, yeah. in the evening. Especially and although dinner at 10. Yeah. But it's very hard to have a light dinner in the evening when you've had uh, a lunch at 2 o'clock yeah, and your dinner's not again, until it. nine o'clock in the evening. Uh, I find it very hard to have a light lunch, uh, dinner in the evening. So uh, I found it very difficult. But maybe you know it's something you have to grow up uh, experiencing as a kid to to be able to carry yeah. on. Because I certainly haven't been able to adapt. I don't uh, know too well with know. that. But uh, yeah. that's it. There, the uh, Spanish are going to be the uh, people that live the longest <laughs> uh, by twenty forty. All right, now I have to wrap it up. We're running out of time. The cameras are about to turn off. So we'll just wrap it up. So questions or comments, leave them in the section below if you have one. Uh, give your opinion on why you think Spaniards live longer than everyone else in the world. Uh, leave it in the section below. Give the video a thumbs up if you liked it. Remember, we are available on all of the major podcasting uh, platforms nowadays. John, I'll say thank you again for your participation. No problems. See you see soon. You, see you in the next one. And, uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up. So uh, hasta luego.